The IMA Doctor Show on KFGO during It Takes Two with Amy and JJ. Today we have Dr. Jennifer Joan D- G- Jones D's. Wow. Is it a Monday or what? That was easy to say. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you want to try it again? Uh, yeah, Dr. Jennifer Jones Dees and Thanks. Dr. Melissa Kuhn, both certified, both board certified <laughs> pediatric providers with IMA Jessica Healthcare. Jessica Kuhn. Oh, oh my, my gosh. No. Nope. Okay, so. I mean, like. What is ti- let's just rewind. get right into it. What does tiredness do to a human brain uh, on a Monday? Uh, but they both provide primary care to children and adolescents, birth to age 21. Welcome back. Good to see you, and I will not slaughter names anymore, I promise. Good to see you, too. It's and all right. And you know what? If I didn't have to read it, I would have been able to say it easily, right? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, let's just jump right into things. It's winter, a time when kiddos always seem to be sick. I know that very well this year. What is your advice about building up their immune systems and helping them stay well? Honestly, the most important thing is just to keep your kids daily routine healthy. So proper nutrition with three daily meals, um, regular adequate sleep, drinking enough water throughout the day, um, and don't forget the importance of good hygiene. So hand washing and regular bathing and showering is super important. Let me ask a question about hydration during the winter. Because I think our thought is, well, we're not outside sweating, so we don't really need to drink as much water as we were before, right? Is that uh, true or false? That's false. Actually, we almost need more water in the winter because the air is much drier and our body will compensate for that dry air by needing more water. And so it's very important Mm. to keep our kids hydrated and drinking more. Actually, that's one of the reasons why littles get constipated in the winter because their body uses that extra water that's in their stool that then gets harder and more difficult for them to push to hydrate itself. Oh, really? Yes. Same skin with, or same with dry skin and dry lips. So obviously, you know, it seems like everybody's skin is more dry and cracked and their lips are dry and cracked in the wintertime. It's usually because our hydration status isn't as good as it should be. Interesting. Um, I'm sure the same would go for adults too. I mean, we're talking about kiddos, but I feel like I don't drink as much water in the winter. I don't know. I don't think you just drink as much in general because you're, it's cold. You're not getting that warm feeling like when... When you get hot and sweaty in the summer, it's like, oh, you need to drink something to cool down. You don't really do that in the winter. If anything, you're drinking like hot coffee to try to warm up. Right. Yeah, exactly. Which and a lot of those beverages are caffeinated and will also aid in more dehydration. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, okay. As a mom, I get the importance of vaccines. Can you help our audience understand? And let's talk about the entire family because I know we did a family trip to the clinic for flu shots this year. All four of us got them at the same time, which I think was good. It it must have been a little um a little anxiety inducing for my kids because now we've played doctor and we've gotten a lot of shots since then. <laughs> um because we've talked about it a lot, but let's talk about just vaccines for kiddos and and for the family. I don't know, is it too late to get the flu shot? Absolutely no. not. Really? And um, okay, so tell us about the flu shot. It does take a couple of weeks to be fully whatever, fully. Yeah, what's it the takes word about, I want? they say two to three weeks, actually. Okay. Um, and we've had a huge um, influx of influenza A already, but we are expecting influenza B, which is why we're still recommending people get vaccines, even if they were affected by influenza A, because you'll have the coverage for B when it comes. And essentially what that means is that, I mean, all vaccines are for either viruses or bacteria. And when we have a vaccine, it's our body's ability to recognize a bug and then 
tackle it or kill it and so that we don't get sick. And so when we have vaccines, I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions is that, oh, well, I got the flu shot and then I still got the flu. Well, you can still get it. I mean, but your symptoms are going to be significantly less. And so what we're what we're talking about is preventing hospitalization, preventing ER visits and those kinds of things with these viruses. Um, and for families that have loved ones that are um, immunocompromised, grandma has cancer or someone has, um, you know, has had a transplant or something like those things, it's ever more um, important to make sure that everybody is vaccinated because the other thing that vaccines do is when we do get sick, we're, we're spreading far less virus or bug when we're sick. Um, you know, when we sneeze and things like that, when we're sick, that's what we're spreading. We're spreading that virus all over. And so we know that vaccinated people have far less spread than they do, than those that are non-vaccinated and actually will spread for fewer days than someone who's not vaccinated. So shorter time of spreading and then um, the amount of actual virus that's in that spreading is less. Well, and I have to imagine, too, that when a, when a child gets sick, right, like so if a kid gets the flu, the touch points with other human beings is so much greater than, you know, someone who's in their mid-30s who can just, you know, go down to the basement and watch Netflix and make their own soup, right? Absolutely. You know, that that's a big thing right there. And, and that's what I mentioned about, you know, we're, we're trying to keep kids out of the ERs and getting IV fluids and out of the hospital for sure. Um, and so that's what these vaccinations are going to be preventing is those awful things that happen when we have these bugs come through our communities. What is RSV like now? Because I know at the beginning of cold and flu season, it was rampant. And we were hearing about how there was just full hospitals across the United States, including locally, that there were just a spike in RSV cases in kiddos. How is it now? We have seen quite a reduction in the RSV cases now, but it seems like mostly we're seeing influenza A now. So, And that yeah. even seems to have been starting to reduce in numbers as well. Um, but yes, the, at the beginning of the season, very early for typical RSV cases, we were seeing it um, really spike in October and all through no- November. Um, but starting in December, we've seen those cases drop. But then that's when the influenza A really picked up. Mm-hmm. So, And just in general, lots of upper respiratory illnesses going around. I mean, we always have the typical croup and strep throat going around, but upper respiratory illnesses in general this year, it, we are seeing a lot of sick kids and sick families. Mm-hmm. We even got like a neurovi- like a stomach bug oh. in our house. It was like, well, this is fancy. <laughs> Add this on top yeah. of everything else. <laughs> Uh, which I read you can be contagious up to two weeks. Is that true? It's yeah. it's true for most illnesses, actually, that we shed um, sure. the virus for quite a long time afterwards. So even though we're saying, you know, if you're feeling better, you can go out into the public. I mean, typically I tell people a minimum of 24 hours post fever without fever reducing medications. But that doesn't mean that you can't still shed some of the virus and still get people sick. So that's where it's important to go only the places you need to go, mm-hmm. still cover your cough, wash your hands really well, all of that good hygiene measures again. When I got back to work, I was like sanitizing everything <laughs> for like days. I was like, no one gets sick. <laughs> um, we've heard that there are major shortages of pediatric medicines. Is that true? There are, um, and we really can't put our finger on exactly what is happening there, but um, there's several antibiotics, several attention deficit hyperactivity medications that are um, short. We're very short on fever reducers, including acetaminophen, which is um, the generic name for Tylenol, and 
ibuprofen, which is the generic name for Advil or Motrin. Um, and so what we're what we're seeing with that is then, of course, the, the toilet paper panic from the COVID days um, mm-hmm. in, sets into all parents. So parents see a bottle and they're grabbing it. But we're really telling parents, please don't overbuy and, and stock up. Um, leave what's on the shelf for those that need it and, and just get it when you need to have it so that there's availability for other families that need it. Yeah, that's so scary. What do you do if you're a parent and you have a little one that's got a fever and you can't find any fever reducing medication? Is there any way that you can make an adult medication okay for kiddos? I would really direct a parent to their pediatrician if that if that's a situation that they're in because certainly, yes, we, we can help out with those kinds of things, but I wouldn't want a parent trying to juggle or right. cut pills or anything like that. What about yeah. expiration dates on the side of like something like that for a child super important um one of the things that we do tell parents to check is make sure that your medications are within um, the limits of of use um you know if it's just a month or so you can probably get by with it but you're if you're talking six months to a year um, especially if it hasn't been stored properly it may not be effective and so you should probably get some fresh stuff and we've actually, the, we've actually been seeing so, some of the medications, they're saying it's even more important, not only because you may have reduced efficacy, but they're actually seeing improved efficacy so that if you're giving your child the appropriate or what you think is the appropriate dose, it may be a double dose because if the expiration date is passed, some of those medications are having um, increased efficacy, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. So it that's does. why we like say Like if the water component it. dries out and, you know. Right. Sure. You know Ooh, okay, that's so very scary. so you would this would this would also say go over to adults too, right? You wouldn't recommend adults take expired medication. Not anything that has liquid, and I, you know, if if you are taking an expired medication, you should probably run that by mm. your physician. Yeah, weird, JJ, I mean, because I got a lot of heat right. from all my coworkers last week uh-huh. because we had some fever pain reducer, whatever, at our at our front desk that was from 2017 and everyone's like you won't take that amy i'm like no i'm not gonna 20 it's 2023 (laughs) you guys it's not like it's and everyone gave me a real bad time about it but i mean i think that's one of the problems that we have is the reason we probably we have that is because we went to a big box store and bought a giant jug of it for a tenth of the cost of buying it somewhere else and you never get through it and so I think some people just say like, well, you know, it'll be it'll be fine, it'll be fine. And <laughs> clearly, clearly, it's not. That improved efficacy is bonkers to me to think about that. But of course, you know, yeah, well. it could go either <clears throat> way. Um, okay, packing up kiddos <laughs> for winter travel is always a headache. Uh, do you have any cold weather tips for parents? It's interesting because. Um, Cold weather and travel for kiddos is really hard because you want to put that warm jacket on them, but then once you get them in the car, you have to take the warm jacket off to get them in the car seat. Exactly. So we'll both touch on this a little bit. I'll let Jen talk about the car seat safety, but so that is huge when we're traveling. Obviously, make sure that your kids are in the appropriate car seats, but the other things we have to remember that I think a lot of us forget about is when you're traveling in the winter, especially if it's cold or snowy or icy, but just in general, you should have some typical safety things. Um, For example, for your children, especially boots, hats, mittens, snow pants, coats, because 
what if something happens to your car or what if you're stranded somewhere? You need to have those those extra items available. I talk about extra blankets, having um, hand warmers and things. I mean, so car seat safety is super important. And like I said, Jen, will touch on that a little bit more. But just general safety measures as far as what should you have in your car just in case. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about that car seat because um, that does get confusing. I remember being a first time parent and being like, wait, what? It's freezing out. Now I got to take this off my kid to put them in the car seat safely. But it is true. It's it's quite the routine you have to get under when when you're doing it for the first time. Yeah, car seats are designed to fit the child's body and not a lot of extra fluff. In fact, if there's a lot of extra fluff in there, the straps are not tight enough to secure the child in the seat should there be a collision. And so we really don't want children wearing big fluffy jackets in their car seats. You should really only be able to put, if you put your index finger and your middle finger together, that should be all that you should you can slide underneath the belt between the child's body and the strap, and that's snug enough. Um, the dynamics of collisions are very, very bizarre, and things do weird things when we hit fast and hard. And so if those straps are not tight enough, the children may not be secured and could go flying in the event of a collision. So so the general rule of thumb is nothing more than a fleece layer between the child and the straps. So essentially, like you're saying, if you have a big heavy coat on, you should take that off when you strap them in the car seat. So especially for infants, I usually suggest like a fleece bunting. Um, you strap them in the car seat, then put a blanket over the top of them or around them. And so the same could be said for toddlers. If they have a fleece jacket on, wrap them in a blanket, take them out to the car, take the blanket off, strap them in, then put the blanket over the top of their lap after they're strapped. They even have those like car seat ponchos, ponchos now, yep. which are so nice. That was brilliant. Whatever mom came up with that. You know, it was a mom that was just like sick of all of the rigmarole of trying to get yes. on and off coats. Came up with the car seat poncho. They're the best. Um, this is the IMA Doctor Show here on KFGO, and it takes two with Amy and JJ, Dr. Jennifer Jones-Dees, and Dr. Jessica Cooner in studio with us, both board-certified pediatric providers with IMA Healthcare Kids Care. We've got some questions in our text club about flu shots. We'll also get back to some of the mental health things that, with our kiddos and advice for parents. That and more coming up on the IMA Doctor Show here on KFGO. The IMA Doctor Show is on the air and taking your questions as well. You can text us at 35270 or call us at 237-5948. There is a question in at 35270. It says, I got a flu shot in early October. Should I get another? No, you don't need to repeat in the year. The only people that need two vaccines in one year is a child that's getting their flu vaccine for the very first time. So the very first year they need their initial flu shot and then they need a booster in 30 days. But Otherwise, you need you can just have a single shot a year. Okay. Are you still advising COVID shots right now? I mean, I know that there was a booster that came out. There was only one other booster that came out, right? And that was in the fall. There hasn't been another? Yes. There's there's a booster that is out there for all ages at this point in time. However, um what what we're hearing from the CDC and the Academy of Pediatrics is that if you have had COVID infection, you can wait 90 days after that infection to get your booster. So sometimes you have to time it out a little bit. Sure. I mean, I'm just confused about this whole thing at this point. Like, when was my last booster? 
How how many more should it be getting? What should it go? I think it's just one of those things where it's become a part of everyday life. But I am forgetful. I mean, sometimes I forget that it's twenty twenty three. Sometimes I think it's twenty twenty one. I mean, still. that's a good point though. Is that when should you have another booster after your last booster? I think honestly, I mean, this is just my speculation, and I have no data to really back this up. But I have a sneaky suspicion that we're going to end up having a booster for COVID, like we have a flu booster every yeah. year. It'll just be something that we get It'll annually. Be the yearly thing, yeah. Because hopefully someday we aren't going to be testing for everything under the sun always when we have a little bit of a runny nose. Yeah, yeah, and that and that is the case. I mean, we're still sort of testing. All the time. Mm-hmm. Well, you still, if you watch someone sneeze out in public, it immediately is you watch people jump back five feet still. Yeah. You I know. mean, well, and, and especially this time of year with like kiddos, it's hard to figure out what they have when they've got a fever and they have just this default little bit of runny nose. And so do you have any recommendations? Are all over-the-counter tests good? Should you always run to IMA to get a test? What 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 do you do? How do you navigate that? I usually talk to parents based off kids' symptoms. So um, I, with a, a little bit of a runny nose and a cough, I don't know that I would say test right away or run and get a test. Um, now, a lot of the schools are offering tests if they have symptoms that correspond to COVID. Um, but in general, if your kid has a fever and is feeling pretty ill or the illness has been prolonged more than a few days, seems like they're not getting any better, then yes, they should be seen by a provider and or have a test. Um, we do have a test at um, IMA, and I believe other facilities are doing something sim- similar, but we have a um, one test that does test for influenza A, influenza B, RSV, and COVID all together. All the stuff, all in all one. All the stuff, all in one, which yeah. is really nice. So that you're not getting nice. six different swabs up your nose. It's one swab in your nostril, um, and, and it tests for all of those things. It's, it's very accurate. So that has been pretty helpful as well. That sounds amazing. Just one and done. (laughs) IMA Healthcare is located at 45th Street and 32nd Avenue South across from Mexican Village. 280-2033 is their phone number. But we've got another half hour. The doctors are in on the IMA Doctor Show here on KFGO. It's time for the IMA Doctors to take house calls. Call now, 237-5948 or 800-880-5346 where you get answers to any healthcare question. Today we have Dr. Jennifer Jones-Dees and Dr. Jessica Kuhn, both board-certified pediatric providers with IMA Healthcare Kids Care. They provide primary care to children and adolescents from birth to age 21, and we're taking your questions at 35270 or at 237-5948. Let's go back to that hydration piece for just a minute because I did read something the other day that said that that could literally prevent even adults from getting sick is just if they were better hydrated. Could it really prevent us from getting sick if we were better hydrated? Well, I think our bodies use our secretions to get rid of a lot of things. And so the short answer to that is yes, without giving a huge biochemistry lecture. Sure. (laughs) But if you're pooping fine and you're peeing fine and you've got good tears that you're making and your saliva is good, you're going to be much more able to have a very active and happy immune system. Yeah, it was interesting. It, It was like the one thing that people don't talk about enough. And it probably is that. I mean, we can talk about all of these 
you know, cold and flu medications and all of this. But if we were just drinking, you know, we all know vitamin C and all of that good stuff. But if we could just drink enough water, that would be maybe goal number one to keep us healthy this time of year. For those adults that get sick, do we need to be tested? You know, we were just before the break talking about getting tested for COVID and getting tested for RSV and influenza and when when that sort of threshold is hit to be tested. Should adults be tested sooner so that they know what they're getting in front of their kids with? I always think the second I start to get sick, it's like, oof, I'm going to pass this on to a, you know, a three and a five-year-old. So should I know going into this illness what I have? I think you need to be a little careful with that because a lot of times if you test too soon, you're going to test negative and then you have a false perception mm. like, oh, I was negative and you may may have it. So testing too early can be or can have its flaws as well. Sure. That's a good point. Um, what is how long should you have symptoms um, before you start testing? I, th- I think that's a difficult question because it sort of depends on your symptoms and what the symptoms are. So um, knowing with influenza, we can treat with Tamiflu if we catch it within the first 48 hours. But if you wait beyond that, we can't treat with Tamiflu anymore. Um, and so for that, I would say if you have pretty likely symptoms of influenza, you may want to test in that first 24 hours. Now, if you're thinking it's more something like um, COVID, RSV, things like that, I would agree with Jennifer and say you may want to wait until you've had symptoms for a couple of days because we do know that testing too early will give us false negatives. What? Let's talk about Tamiflu for a minute because I feel like I've heard more bad things about Tamiflu than good things. Well, it's like anything else. You know, medicines, we, we, we don't want to ever hand out medicines just because all medicines do have their own side effects that your physicians and providers should be discussing with you. Um, but influenza, true influenza can be really rough on people, um, hospitalizations and things like that. And so um, what Tamiflu is, is an antiviral medication. So once you start taking it, it actually slows the ability of the virus to reproduce itself within the body and thus shortens the duration of the illness. Um, so if you don't need it, um, great. But if you're not feeling really good, you've got the symptoms of flu, or maybe you're not sure what the symptoms of flu are. Um, a lot of people use Dr. Google, but it's you know probably more important for you to call your doctor's office, speak with your doctor's nurse, and let that person know what you're feeling, and then they can help you triage whether or not you need to be coming in for testing and those kinds of things. What about a Z-Pack? I also hear people talk about that a lot, too. I feel like that's the candy sprinkle of the urgent care world. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. <laughs> yes. People will throw a Z-Pack at just about anything. Azithromycin is a great antibiotic, but it's wildly overused. Um, but it does work well for a lot of infections when you need it. Um, but it's a quick antibiotic course. It's a five-day course, two pills on one day, or a double dose of liquid for a child, and then... Um, a single dose on days two through five. So it's nice in that it's small, it's quick. Um, But different groups of people, i.e. kids versus adults versus teenagers, carry different bugs in their bodies. And so for my little kids that I take care of, azithromycin, just by the nature of the number or the kind of bugs that littles tend to carry, it's not your best choice. Teenagers, it's a great choice because azithromycin works really well against community-acquired bacterial infections um, like walking pneumonia and those kinds of things. Um, And adults, it can also be used really well for. But um, I do 
Jess and I talk about this all the time in the office. We see kids coming in that are on azithromycin and you're like, for what? <laughs> and it's just, they just throw it at them if they don't know what they're doing. So it's like amoxicillin was when we were kids. Okay. Oh yeah. Everybody mm-hmm. got the pink bubblegum yeah, amoxicillin. Pink, Anytime pink, you had a cough yes. or runny nose. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Yes. Seems like in the acute care world, it's the bandaid for a lot of things. And whether it's used appropriately or not, as Jennifer said, it can it can be a wonderful antibiotic for very specific illnesses, but we just have to be careful that we're not using it for everything because as we all know, the more we use antibiotics, the less effective they can become in the community. So like amoxicillin was used so much that it's um, far less effective now in the in, in our with our community illnesses than it had been. So we it's it's um, antibiotic stewardship. It really just means that we shouldn't be using antibiotics for every little cough and runny nose um, and trying to use them when they're only really needed. Sure, sure. This is an interesting question. And at three five two seven zero, someone said, "My daughter is seventeen, and recently passed out at school." We took her to the ER and they did some blood work and an EKG. Today, we saw a neurologist and he said that it's not uncommon for kids to have these episodes. Should I push for more testing or is this really common? That's actually a very common um, thing for adolescents. And usually it's related to... um, improper nutrition and improper hydration status. So a lot of times I talk to, um, especially adolescents, because their bodies are changing, they're growing very fast, um, and they're having a lot of hormonal changes as well. But it's very important that they're eating three meals a day and drinking enough water throughout the day. And I would be willing to bet that probably more than 70% of adolescents are not eating three meals a day and are not drinking enough water. Um, and oh we're my. getting sleep or getting enough sleep. Yep. Which is <laughs> oh another my thing. Gosh. And then we talk about position changes. So what's typical when you're an adolescent, you stay in bed until you have to get out of bed and then you jump up really fast and your equilibrium changes and you already have poor nutrition and poor hydration. And yes, you will pass out. Um, it's very similar for adults when you stand up fast and you feel that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now, if you haven't eaten in the last 12 hours and you haven't had any water in the last 12 hours, that's going to play a big impact on the way your body is feeling and and the changes that your body is going through. It's interesting because you mentioned something that, by the way, I had no idea that that was like common for teenagers just to pass out. So there's a good chance that this person, I'm speculating, but from what you're saying is this 17-year-old maybe got up from a position really fast or was was moving quickly or whatever and and this episode happened. Usually, and that's why it's important to know the whole story and then to yes. follow up with specialists or your doctor. I would never say if you are passing out, just ignore it. It's probably normal. Right. I would say you should see your provider and they should be asking you all of these questions. How many yeah. meals are you eating a day? How much water are you drinking? How much are you sleeping? How active are you? Um, and then, yes, slow position changes. So, for example, had that been per- person been at school and they hadn't had any breakfast and it was before lunchtime and they dropped their pencil and they bent over and picked it up really fast, absolutely you could pass out and that could be pretty normal that was going to be my my next question um and that was going to be as a pediatrician and a primary care physician how often are you talking about sleep all the time every time you come in for your well visit that should be a conversation um but also with um any kind of problems that you're having so whether it be frequent headaches feeling lightheaded stomach aches all of all of the all of those things that we're discussing you know sleep nutrition water intake are really important to your overall body health this was this um this okay they're following up with these questions about the 17 year old who passed out at school said very active, 
active, had just had lunch, was actually just standing, got dizzy, and then passed out. So, yeah, I mean, to your point, probably need to follow up with their whoever her primary care physician is to ask some more detailed questions and yes, because to get there, a broader picture. There absolutely are things that can cause that that aren't per se normal. You know, I mean, right. there there is orthostatic hypertension problems. There is problems like POTS. There are many problems that could cause you to have passing out episodes of passing out. Um, and so it would be very important, but it sounds like they did a pretty appropriate workup. The biggest thing is just, if you have questions, you need to see, that's why it's so important to have a primary care provider. If you know that person, you may feel more comfortable talking to them mm -hmm. um, and asking those questions. Like I, I don't want any of my patients to leave the office having questions still. Yeah. I want to be able to answer those questions before you leave. And if you're the mom and you got a gut instinct, go with it, girl. Absolutely. <laughs> Ask more questions. Um, but sleep, going back to that, I just imagine that this is a conversation that you're having all the time. And I know that in the news during 2022, one of the big stories, one of our top stories when we were looking back at one of our top podcasts was actually a conversation that we had about melatonin because there was an accidental overdose or maybe a couple during 2022 that just sort of brought melatonin back into the the headlines and got parents talking about it because I think it's a pretty widely used thing with a lot of parents now. What is the conversation that you have around melatonin? Melatonin in specific can be used, but it shouldn't be something that you're using all of the time. Um, we talk at length with our parents about something called sleep hygiene, and that involves um, pretty much the time after supper through the time that the the kids are in bed sleeping and finally waking up in the morning. And it involves things like making the lights go down so that we're imitating sundown. Um, it involves doing something routinely every night so that the kids' bodies know it's time to go to bed. So it might be okay, we've finished up homework, now we're going to go have bath, we're going to have bedtime snack, we're going to brush our teeth, we're going to read a book, and then it's lights out. And the more that, that we do those behaviors, our natural melatonin that our body makes itself increases because it knows, like, this is what I do before I go to bed. And so it's starting to make the melatonin naturally. Um, I suggest melatonin in situations like time changes or right after holiday break because we all throw our schedules off on holiday break. So maybe for the first week back at school, we use a little melatonin before bed, but then we don't want to continue using it. Um, yeah. We want that those bodies to be able to fall asleep. And um, I, I think Jess would agree that one of the biggest things that we can do for our kids very early on, and I'm talking six to eight months of age starting, is teaching them to sleep well, to be able to put themselves to sleep and stay asleep and, you know, not have those nighttime wake-ups because the sleep patterns that are developed as tiny babies carry all the way through. And so if we're not teaching them those good habits very early on, it can be a disaster all the way through into adulthood. You know how um, dogs get the zoomies after they have a bath. I swear kids do too. <laughs> like right before bedtime, it is zoomies. It is running. It is yelling. It is we're the most active we've been all day. I'm like, I'm trying so hard to get you to be like calm and quiet. And this is the time that you have the most energy of the entire day. <laughs> that's funny. But that's also a good point because, you know, what we have to remember is we all have different sleep patterns too and ways to fall asleep. And so oftentimes I'll get asked, well, we do all of those sleep routines and I put my kid to bed and then they thrash and flail around in bed for 
45 minutes before they fall asleep. And that's fine. That might just be their wind down time. Some of us can fall asleep the minute we hit the pillow Mm -hmm. and we do the zoomies and then we come in (laughs) and we read a book and we fall asleep. Um, Whereas other kids, you know, they may need to lay down and be in their bed quietly with the lights turned off before they can kind of get to that sleepy sleep time. Talking to themselves for 45 minutes. Yes. Playing with their dollies. Yep. I have one of those too. Yeah. Okay. Just conversations with imaginary friends for an hour before we go to sleep. Um, the IMA Doctor Show here on KFGO. IMA Healthcare is located at 45th Street and 32nd Avenue South across from Mexican Village, 701-280-2033. You can also see them at imahealthcare.com. IMA Healthcare is focused on whole person, preventative, and specialized medical care. Instead of simply treating a symptom, they'll work to find the source of that symptom and what it means to your overall health. IMA Healthcare, embracing the personal side of medicine. Join us February 20th when Dr. Denise Schumacher will be in studio to talk all things women. That's coming up in the next IMA Doctor Show. But first, thank you to Dr. Jennifer Jones-Dees and Dr. Jessica Kuhn for another great edition of IMA Doctor Show. Thanks, guys. Thank Thank you, you guys.